Welcome to Lit Poetry, the podcast where we go on a journey of discovery, reading, analyzing, and discussing great poetry from around the world. Poetry is worth it because the reading and writing of poetry is a revolutionary act that has the potential to transform both the reader and our world. Welcome to the Lit Poetry Podcast and to today's poem, God's Grandeur by Jared Manley Hopkins. We'll begin by listening to the poem before returning to start our discussion with some biographical information around the creation of this particular work. This poem is read to you by that English fellow who just got coronated. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. Why do men then now not wreck his rod? Generations have trod, have trod, have trod and all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil. And wears man's smudge and shares man's smell. The soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. And for all this, nature is never spent, there lives the dearest freshness, deep down things. And though the last lights of the black west went, oh, morning at the brown brink eastward springs, because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with, ah, bright wings. So let's start today's discussion with an overview of the historical context. Hopkins wrote God's Grandeur in 1877, at around the same time that he wrote a number of other sonnets, including Spring, In the Valley of the Alway, and The Sea and the Skylark. All of these poems share similar characteristics, both thematically and stylistically. Thematically, they focus on nature and God, on Hopkins' sense that God is suffused and accessible through nature and his resulting concern about the destruction of nature by people and the forces of industrialization. Stylistically, God's grandeur contains some of the metrical complexity often found in Hopkins' work, including examples of Hopkins' own invented meter called sprung rhythm. Though God's grandeur is perhaps a little less extreme in its metrical experimentation than some of his other work. His preoccupation with the pollution and the moral decay caused by industrialization resonates with the works of other Victorian poets like Christina Rossetti and Alfred Lord Tennyson. 
as well as with writers of fiction such as Thomas Hardy and Charles Dickens. However, the poetry of Hopkins, including God's grandeur, also possesses a visionary quality that looks both towards the future and back to the profound past. His unique style diverges from the strict rhythms embraced by Romantic poets, especially those of the early 19th century and many other Victorian poets, and is often considered as a precursor to the emergence of free verse in the early 20th century. Simultaneously, Hopkins's profound perception of the intricate bond between God and nature, powerfully conveyed in God's grandeur, bears more resemblance to the works of metaphysical poets like George Herbert than to the majority of his Victorian contemporaries. Although some poets of his time, such as Christina Rossetti, as I've already mentioned, shared his religious concerns. Of course, his concerns were amplified by the fact that he was also a Catholic priest. Welcome back. I'd like to discuss some of the leading ideas in this poem that deal with God, human beings and the natural world. From the very first line of the poem, the speaker establishes a profound relationship between God and nature, which becomes the central focus of God's grandeur. The connection between God and nature is not a passive one, resulting from God's act of creation alone. Instead, the speaker portrays God as actively infused within nature described as a constant and vibrant energy flowing through it. Moreover, the speaker goes a step further by likening God's grandeur to something that will burst forth and become tangible, just like oil that emerges from a crushed olive. This suggests that human beings have the capacity to perceive, contemplate, and even engage with God through nature. The speaker holds nature in high reverence, not only because of its divine creation, but also because it serves as a direct channel between humanity and God. The speaker's belief in the profound interconnectedness of God, nature, and humanity elucidates their sense of despair concerning humanity's detrimental impact on the natural world. By despoiling and damaging nature through actions described as searing, smearing, and blearing, Humanity is not only harming God's creation, but also severing its own inherent connection to God. What is even more disheartening is that humanity is not merely causing destruction, but is also replacing the pristine sight, sounds and sense of the natural world, along with the divine presence of God within it, with the unpleasant smudge and smell emanating from human activities. Simultaneously, the speaker finds hope in nature's inherent connection to God. As the creation of an all-powerful deity who continues to oversee the world, nature cannot be obscured or irrevocably ruined by human actions. The speaker draws attention to the natural cycles of life and death, implied by references to the sunset followed by the sunrise. Additionally, the speaker highlights that God is actively fulfilling his responsibility to safeguard nature, akin to a mother bird carefully nurturing an egg. 
These observations instill the speaker with confidence that nature will withstand humanity's destructive exploitation and eventually experience a new reawakening. However, the speaker appears uncertain about humanity's place within the eternal cycles of nature. It remains ambiguous whether the speaker envisions a reborn world that includes humanity or if humanity's role is excluded from this vision. The final theme I want to talk about in relation to this poem deals with human industry. In 1877, Hopkins composed God's Grandeur during the Second Industrial Revolution, a time characterised by swift technological progress encompassing the expansion of factories, railroads and electrical power. While this revolution brought about positive changes like enhanced living conditions and increased social mobility for the lower classes, it also had a harsh impact on the natural world. The rampant practices of clear-cutting forests and mining for resources led to severe destruction of landscapes. Pollution from factories and trains polluted the air and water, darkening their quality. Furthermore, the relentless urbanisation replaced rural areas with sprawling cities and suburbs. In essence, the advancement of industry came at the expense of the natural world. Within lines 5 to 8 of God's grandeur, the speaker expresses sorrow over the devastation of nature and the heedless manner in which humanity contributes to this destruction. Repetition of have trod, have trod, have trod in line five emphasizes the continuous and almost thoughtless erosion of the earth by humanity across countless generations. Hopkins's vivid choice of words such as seared, bleared and smeared conveys his profound revulsion towards the complete corruption and ruin inflicted upon everything by humanity's relentless pursuit of commerce and labor. As a consequence of the industrial rise, nature, once pristine and untouched by the unnatural marks of humanity, is now marred by the presence of man's smudge and man's smell. Lastly, in line 8, the speaker acknowledges how the relentless pursuit of economic progress has rendered humanity oblivious to the devastation caused by the Industrial Revolution. Despite the earth being stripped bare by industrialization, people are unable to sense the ground beneath their feet due to the detachment imposed by the shoes they wear, symbolizing the mass-produced products of the industrial world. So in God's grandeur, the speaker portrays a twofold tragedy, the destruction of nature and its profound link to God, and the extent of this destruction being so comprehensive that humanity is incapable of recognising the magnitude of what has been lost. So that's it for another week here at Lit Poetry. It's time to say goodbye. I hope you enjoyed this week's poem by Jared Manley Hopkins. 
Next week we'll be featuring the poem The River Merchant's Wife by Ezra Pound. To support our work, please subscribe to the podcast or to our YouTube channel. You can also visit our website at www.litpoetry.com. A music video of this week's poem is now live on YouTube. We'll finish by listening one final time to the poem. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. Why do men then now not wreck his rod? Generations have trod, have trod, have trod. And all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil. And wears man's smudge and shares man's smell. The soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. And for all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness, deep down things. And though the last lights off the black west went, oh, morning at the brown brink eastward springs, because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with, ah, bright wings. You've been listening to the Lit Poetry Podcast, presented by James Laidler. For more podcasts, poetry videos, and other useful resources, visit our website at www.litpoetry.com. Thanks for listening.